We're also going to do one more thing before I uh, speak today. And uh, I have a, a gift bag over here that I'm going to grab. And uh, we are going to uh, say a big thank you to uh, Dan and Sarah Jung. And if you would come up here. Um, they didn't know this was happening to them in first service. So they were surprised first service. But now you get to know what it's like to... <laughs> Go through it the second time. But we do have somebody else who's going to say something about you as well, so that's kind of a surprise. <laughs> but uh, Dan and Sarah have served this last term as our head elders in this church, and um, they have been such a blessing, I know, to you as a church family. And, um, and uh, I got to know Dan real quick through the pastoral search committee process. So we had a few conversations on the phone, and, and uh, I was so blessed by his leadership and just by his spirit-led leadership in this process and for us to be able to have some good heart conversations. And uh, so we've asked a few people uh, to come and just share a few words. So Pastor Ken and the churches and, and Dan as well. You know you're in trouble now. <laughs> well, again, we've done this once already today, but just wanted to uh, take a few minutes to express my gratefulness for all that both of you have shared for the last several years that you've been serving as our head elders. Uh, there are a few people that have served with the, the level of openness and graciousness and thoughtfulness in a, in a tough position sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's challenging to be in, in that spot and to be able to do what you do, and it, it's been great. Personally, I have just so much appreciated the support that both of you have shown. Uh, Dan is always very good, and Sarah as well, about uh, commenting on things that have been said through sermons and other things. It's nice when somebody actually kind of got what you were saying and, <laughs> and actually talks to you about that. So that was kind of, that's always been kind of fun. But just also the thoughtful graciousness, the way you've opened your homes to new members, the hosting of many things at your house with the elders, and, and just the leadership you provided for our church. Uh, I don't know how else to say all of that, but just to say thanks. It's been, it's been a pleasure, and we've been glad you've been working with us there. Go for it, Dan. Hi, Dan and Sarah. I wasn't here for service. So um, this, well, I, I was trying to think about what to say about you. Um, and uh, I figured I had to write it down and maybe it would last for a while that way if I wrote it down. So I was trying to think of uh, how to describe you. And so it, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? <laughs> Thou art more lovely. <laughs> And more temperate. <laughs> um, that's where I stopped. I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, I know the lovely part is very true. The temperate part, mostly true, except when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals <laughs> and uh, your your kids' sports teams and uh, playing rook. Yeah. But um, seriously. Uh, you all have, um, I remember when we first got here to Calamesa, um, you opened up your hearts and your home to us, um, to JNS, myself, and the girls. Um, we love you. Um, you're so big-hearted, and uh, you've meant uh, a lot, I know, not just to our family, but uh, to this whole church, so thank you. Um. We, uh, we always thank God whenever we think of you because of your leadership and your, your gifts um, to our church. Uh, Dan, I, um, I always have looked up to you, and um, uh, 
mostly because of, of your, your great wisdom. And uh, I mean that sincerely. I think all of us have probably had the experience. You don't have a conversation with, with Dan without learning something. And uh, they say if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. And so I'm trying to hang out more with Dan. Uh, <laughs> uh, and um, I don't know whether that's because he's wise beyond his years or simply he has aged well. But uh, he's wise. Uh, I, Dan is also the, the second to most busy person I've ever met in my life behind Dr. Bob. And uh, he is so involved with, uh, at the university and uh, with the, the schools and, and, and everything else. Uh, the amount of, of time and, and, and his energy that he's given to serving us as a church family has been incredible, whether it's uh, through uh, chairing committees or... Um, uh, preaching or uh, real-time blogging on his iPhone, uh, Dan is, is, is really uh, given a great commitment, and we're grateful for that. And Sarah, you know, I, I really wanted to share something humorous, but whenever I try to be funny at home, my family doesn't laugh. <laughs> so I thought I would leave that to my husband. But um, we didn't want to leave you out. We so much appreciate both of you, but specifically, Sarah, I have also been impressed with your generosity and your hospitality. Many times, um, both as Dan and Ken have mentioned, you've opened up your home um, for elders meetings, for new members, and just you make people feel welcome. Not only do you open up your home, but you, you cook up a storm. You always have plenty of food that you have personally cooked, not just those that are bringing food in. And we just say thank you so much for sharing that gift. Dan, Sarah, we got you just a little something, a little token of our appreciation. And uh, thank you so much for your lives that you live with Jesus that spills out onto all of us and the communities in which you serve. Thank you so much. And I just want to have a prayer for you guys. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Dan and Sarah and their leadership in this church and in your kingdom. Thank you for your love that comes out of their lives and touches ours. We pray, Lord, your continued blessing upon them and their kids and their leadership. Thank you for blessing us with them. In your name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, now I'm not the only ex-Dan around here. <laughs> uh, you know, one other thing that I, that I mentioned first service, I forgot to mention here, was that um, Dan and uh, Trace Hoffer um, have created history in the Adventist church. To our knowledge, they are the first men to make communion bread. And uh, last week for communion, they made the communion bread. So, uh, what's that? No one died. And no one died. <laughs> I had a couple of crisis calls at the ER, but nobody did die. <laughs> so, uh, they had said at the last uh, constituency meeting that, uh, to our knowledge, that no man had ever made communion bread. So, I think uh, Dan and Trace said, hey, we need to be the first. And so, that's the kind of leader he is, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Well, God is good. And all the time, God is good. Well, we're now into our first full week of 2010. Are you feeling it? A little bit? Yes, it's good, isn't it? It's good. And you know, there's a lot of predictions being made. There's a lot of things being said about maybe what's going to happen in this new decade. 
and some of the things that happened in the last decade that maybe we didn't expect, different inventions and different things that happened. But I received an email, as maybe many of you did, that I thought was pretty neat. It was reminding us of things that we know for sure will happen in 2010, and this is always encouraging as, as the church. The Bible will still have the real answer for humanity's greatest question about the meaning and purpose of life. Prayer will still be the greatest gift of communication with God that we know. The Holy Spirit will still move in 2010. God will still honor the praises of his people. There will still be singing of praise to God. We heard it this morning. God will still pour out his blessings. There will still be room at the cross in 2010. Jesus will still love you. The doors of the kingdom will still be wide open for all who would like to enter in. And God will be building his church in 2010, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It'll still happen. It'll still happen. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's will and intention for his church in 2010 is that we would be the most unstoppable force of his love and compassion and mercy and grace and power that this world has ever known. Jesus has a conversation with Peter and his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, we read about it. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Some Jeremiah. Or just one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you for being who you are and who we are in your life and kingdom. I pray that as we just open your word this morning that your spirit will be let loose on our hearts and our minds and we would let you take us where you want us to go as we launch into 2010. We ask in your name, amen. There are three things in this passage I just want to bring to our attention that I think are essential in being the church that Jesus invites us to be, this unstoppable force. The first one is found in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16, when Jesus asks Simon Peter, who do people say that I am? Who are they, who are they saying I am? What are they calling me? And, and, and Peter responds, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist. Some are saying that you're Elijah. Some are saying that, that you're Jeremiah. Some are saying that you're one of the prophets. You see, for these people, Jesus was very important, but he wasn't it. They were still looking for, for Messiah to come, but he was very important because one of these characters were people who were supposed to come and proclaim that the Messiah was coming. So Jesus was very important in their eyes, but he still wasn't quite it. And Jesus asked his disciples, he said to them in verse 15, but who do you say? that I am. 
Who do you, my disciples, say that I am? And that's when Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You're not just somebody who's important in this world. You're not somebody who speaks great wisdom and and teaches great things. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting for. You are the very son of God. You are the one and life purpose for humanity. You see, Christianity, as one of my teachers said long ago, is never about a what, but about a who. Christianity is about Jesus Christ, the person, the God, not just the things he taught about, not the philosophy of life, not a religion, but an experience with God Almighty, not a rationale, but a relationship with God himself. Who do you say I am? Where do I fit in in your life? Who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are Lord. You are master. You are God. You are king. What do you say this morning, church? Who do you say that he is? Is he Lord? Amen. If he is not Lord... There is no church. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of people's lives, there is no church. We just gather together because we like some of the same songs. We gather together because we like some of the people here. We gather together because who knows what. But Jesus says, if you're my church, I am Lord. And where I am Lord, I have a church. The essential confession of the church is Christ is Lord. Christ is the son of the living God. He's our king. He's our faithful intercessor. He's the great I am. He's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the very reason for being, the only hope of the world, the way, the truth, the life, who is and was and is to come, the almighty. I like what Revelation says. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever. Amen. We exalt Jesus Christ as Lord. And when Jesus Christ is exalted as Lord, there's a church. See, this confession is essential to being God's unstoppable force in this world of being his church. But along with the confession, then, we have a community. This word church that Jesus uses, it's the first time ever in the Bible where he uses the word church. And it's based off of Peter's confession. Where I am Lord, I will have a community of people. A people who are called out of the world to be in the world for a special purpose. It says here in verses 17 and 18, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are so right, Peter, Jesus says. And based on your confession of me, I am going to build my church in you and through you and in the lives of everyone else who confesses and accepts me as their Lord. Where he is Lord, he has a church. That's why Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Because where does God rule? 
Is God ruling here in the sanctuary when we're all out doing our thing during the week? No. And he's not waiting here on Sabbath morning waiting for us to show up. The kingdom of God is within you. Where he is Lord, his kingdom reigns. And where his kingdom reigns, he has a church. He has a people, an unstoppable force. Now, when I was growing up, I think many of you might be familiar with this, we did this. Remember this? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and there's all the people. That is bad theology. It's quaint. It's nice. It still kind of makes the point, but it's bad theology. You see, the Bible says it's like this. Here's the building. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and there's what? The church. See, we are the church. This building's not the church. This physical plant's not the church. None of this matters. It's the people. We are the church. Where Jesus reigns, he has a church. And in fact, he calls it his church. He says, upon this rock, I will build whose church? My church. His church. It's not the senior pastor's church. It's not even your church. It's his church. Because we belong to him. And where he has a church, he says he's going to build it. He's going to build his church. Now, the church is kind of an interesting place, isn't it? I've grown up in the church. I've experienced a lot of things growing up as a little child and into my teenage years and then an adult and, and now in my mid-40s. I've experienced a lot of strange things in the church. Have you? Now, when I say strange things, what am I talking about? People. <laughs> right? The church is people. I've experienced a lot of strange people in the church, of which I'm one of them as well. In the church, we have people who are broken. We all have some form of brokenness in our life. We all have issues of different types, fears, anxieties, worries, a crisis. Different things happen, but we're still his church. Because in the midst of my brokenness, I can still say Jesus is Lord. In the midst of my issues, I can still say Jesus is Lord, and I am being created anew. And in the midst of that, I mean, just, let's just think of Peter for a second. Did Peter have issues? Absolutely. Don't you find comfort in Peter? We all do. Peter had some great strengths, but he had some glaring weaknesses. And yet Jesus said that through you and through people like you, I'm going to build my church. People who in the midst of all the craziness that happens in their lives still say Jesus is Lord and he reigns in my life. Now, I'm going to share with you a little story that I hope isn't too trite this morning. Um, my, my wife always says I can rationalize just about anything. And, uh, but years ago, when I was young, <laughs> and I used to teach some uh, surfing during the summer, I used to have some surf camps I ran for the conference office and for Pine Springs Ranch, and, and I would hold them down there in San Diego. And I was out teaching some of the kids how to surf, and I was on a surfboard, and I had this girl next to me, and she was, um, she was a little um, crazy. Let's just say it that way but a sweetheart, heart of gold. And she was adventurous, and she would do anything. And, but you had to be kind of careful, so I didn't let a lot of the other kids kind of get around her when she had a surfboard, because a surfboard can become a very dangerous weapon. And so I was next to her, and I was kind of next to her, and she, sure enough, her board shot. Her board shot, it hit my wrist. And at that time, I had a, 
I had a, um, a watch that had an orange Velcro band on it. And it was supposed to be pretty much um, where it couldn't be broken. And it, well, it broke. It, <laughs> one of the pins broke, and my watch, I saw it going down into the water. And I said, oh, no. So I kept trying to get it. I kept trying, and I couldn't get it, and I eventually lost it. I kid you not, three months later, I'm walking the beach. I'm walking the beach, and I'm about a mile down the road from where I lost my watch. It's an early Sunday morning. I'm walking along, and I see this watch with an orange Velcro watch band. And I said, no way. I walked up to it, and it had been kind of covered in sand, and I pulled it out, and it was my watch. Still ticking. <laughs> and no, it was not a Timex. And I said, that is amazing. And I thought, of course, as a pastor, all kinds of analogies are coming into my head. But a little trite, but I want to say, no matter what the church goes through, and we've seen the church go through some bad things, God's church will still be his unstoppable force. It will continue to go and to move, limping or not, we are his unstoppable force, a people who say Jesus is Lord of my life, his kingdom reigns in my heart, and I am part of his church no matter what. Ephesians says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. First Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, the church his unstoppable force, his people in this world who claim him as Lord. What does Psalms 127.1 say? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in what? Vain. Vain. It's Jesus who builds us. That's why, as you've heard me say before, and it's on your bulletin cover, that unless we abide in him, there is no power of the church. There is no fruit of the church. When we abide in him, we're connected to him as Lord, then we bear fruit and we bear witness that we've been with him and we love one another. Now, I must confess as a pastor, one of the biggest temptations that Satan always hits me with, and I think he hits his church with, is that there's always so much to do in the church and never enough time to do it that if we're not careful, it begins to squeeze out our time with Jesus. And before you know it, you're trying to do things and produce the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. And it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. He builds us up. If we're ever trying to create the church, if we're tr ever trying to make things happen, expecting everything to be up to us, and not leaving lots of space for God to do the unimaginable and the unthinkable and the unanticipated, the unattainable, and even the un unbelievable, we're in big trouble. I remember years ago, I had an elder ask me what my 10-year plan was. And uh, that was a problem question for me because I believe in progressive revelation. And when I told him that answer, he goes, okay. <laughs> 
But I want to tell you, we can make our five and ten year plans, and it's good to strategize. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. But unless our number one priority is always, my strategic plan is a daily thing. Be connected to Jesus. When we're connected to Jesus, we will be his church. And church will happen. The overflow of his love, the fruit of the Spirit will happen. And we go by faith. Now, I, wanna, I think the church is a lot like a certain group of animals. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test your knowledge here a little bit. Do you know what you call a, a group of crows? Murderers. That's right. A group of crows is called murderers. I'm not joking. You can look this up. What do you call a group of lions? A pride. Now, I'm surprised nobody in first service knew this next one. What do you call a group of vultures? A committee. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I felt the vultures in the pastoral search. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. What do you call a group of elephants? A herd. What do you call a group of rhinos? A crash. Yes. You see, I think the church is supposed to be like a group of rhinos. Because rhinos are called a crash because they can only see at the most 30 feet in front of them and they run 30 miles an hour. So they crash into things. When I read the Bible about God's people, they do a lot of crashing. And God does some amazing things and he takes them out of their comfort zones. And that's what the church is like. We trust in Jesus, and we walk by faith, not by sight. If we walk too much by sight, we try to plan and control everything, and then we wonder where the fruit is. We walk by faith of trusting Jesus as Lord in community. Amazing things happen. He calls his community into commission. He calls us. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He commissions us. Here's the technical definition for commission. To be commissioned means to be given the authority to perform a task. Has Jesus Christ given us authority? Yes. All right, I just want to make sure. Yes, he has. You remember the Great Gospel Commission? Jesus came to them in Matthew 28, it says, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much did he say? Not 75%, not half. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says to his church, Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, I'm bringing that out just for a second here because sometimes people skip over the word disciple and they just hear, go and teach and baptize. And it's good to teach and baptize, but we can teach sometimes and even baptize maybe without even making disciples. He calls us to make disciples, and disciples is a slow, steady process. And it's easier to make disciples than we think. It's not like go through this curriculum and do all of this. It's through relationships. As we live with Jesus as Lord, and we live as his church, and we live with people, and his fruit is bearing in our life, and we live with people, we can make disciples for Jesus. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's difficult. I love the story of Pastor Philip Johnson. He's an author and a pastor. And back in 1969, he was ordained and given a 10-church district. It was in uh, Newfoundland, Canada, on the coast, Newfoundland. 
Thank you. Appreciate that. And the church, he had one church that he had to go 40 miles by snowmobile. 40 miles. And he goes 40 miles by, by this uh, snowmobile. He gets there, and one person has showed up. A lone fisherman who himself had driven 20 miles on a snowmobile. Well, he's a little discouraged, and he thinks, well, maybe I'll just pray with him, and uh, we'll just call it a day, and I'll go on to the other churches. But something inside him told him, no, you were prepared. Do the whole worship service. And so they have prayer. He reads this liturgy. He preaches the full sermon. They have the Lord's Supper. He walks to the back of the door and waits to greet his one parishioner. (laughs) He walks back, and he tells him, thank you for coming. And the man who came said, Reverend, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian for about 30 years, and today was the day. Today was the day. You just never know what God is up to. But when we're faithful to just being his people, of speaking his word and living in him, he does incredible things, and we make disciples. G.K. Chesterton said these words, We do not want, as the newspapers say, a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. And I'm going to assume that the Calamasa Seventh-day Adventist Church wants to be a church that moves the world. Now, I've, I know you, this church has already done incredible things. It's doing great things in this community. But I also believe Jesus wants to take us further. Jesus wants us to make disciples in this area, in this city, and in this county. And by God's grace, if we confess him as Lord, if we live with the kingdom of God reigning in our hearts, we come together as his church and let him reign over us, and we know that we have the authority through his commission to make disciples, we will be his unstoppable force in 2010. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being our God, for being our Lord, that we get to be your people and that you invite us into your mission. Lord, give us the grace to be connected with you and to allow your grace to live through us, to touch family members, to touch friends and neighbors and coworkers. You are so good, Lord. Thank you for calling us your people. May we be your unstoppable force. I want to invite you now just to a moment of silent prayer and talk to your Lord this morning. Because we are his people who confess Jesus as Lord and whom he is building up and he, with the authority of his call, calls us to his commission, I want to encourage you with the words of Paul. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage and be strong. Amen.